Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Well, today is Easter. Uh, We celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday, and there's a lot of different ways to celebrate. You probably have your traditions. We have our traditions. I was reading this week of a small town in New Zealand that their tradition, after all the church services are finished and lunch concludes, today they will actually have a full-on citywide rabbit hunt where they will try to get... I was going to say kill, but let's go with catch. Catch as many rabbits as possible. Uh, We're not going to do that here. That's not part of our culture, although I think they might fit in well with West Virginia. Um, There's another tradition I read about in France where they actually take over 4,000 eggs in a giant skillet, a skillet that has been made just for this day, and they feed thousands of people uh, eggs on Easter Day. So if that's your tradition, I hope you enjoy that. I'm not here today to tell you how to celebrate Easter, but I have come today to tell you why. Why celebrate Easter? That's actually the whole sermon. And in the next few minutes, I'm going to give you three reasons why to celebrate Easter uh, with all of your heart. And so we're going to find that right out of 1 Corinthians 15. So if you would take your Bible or your Bible app and stand with me for the reading of God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The first reason we celebrate Easter, it's in your outline, it's in on the app if you like to follow along in that way. Number one is because Jesus physically, publicly, and powerfully arose from the grave on Sunday morning, probably April 5th, AD 33. Jesus physically, publicly, and powerfully arose from the grave on Sunday morning, probably April 5th, AD 33. Now, for those of you who love history, you loved history in high school, you loved history in college, all three or four of you, um, you can actually go out to my Facebook page and I posted a few days ago just why we believe it's probably that date most conservative scholars do. But the Bible doesn't give us the exact date, and so that's just something fun to study. But what the Bible does tell us unequivocally is that Jesus did die on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. And the verses we just read, they read a lot like a legal document. Paul went to law school, and at this particular time in world history, and really even today, this document uh, is an evidential document, and I'll show you why. First of all, Paul was born around the same time of Jesus. Um, Some believe he was born about the same year. I probably lean more to about a decade away, but he grew up right around the same time of Jesus. And even though he grew up miles away from Jesus, he went to law school in Jerusalem right about the time that Jesus was making waves in around the city. 
And so Paul knew full well who Jesus was, and Paul dedicated the early part of his career to completely obliterating Jesus' followers. Paul wanted nothing to do and wanted to make sure that nobody else followed Jesus of Nazareth. But the book of Acts tells us the story of how Jesus appeared to Paul. Jesus loves Paul. I'm convinced that Jesus loves the hard cases. And Jesus went after Paul and appeared, and, and Paul believed that Jesus not only had died for his sins, but that he was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Paul realized Jesus really had risen from the grave. And so what we find is the Apostle Paul uh, turns his gifts, he uses his education, he uses his law background to then prove to us that Jesus is alive. For Paul, as he writes, it was a historical fact. Paul could take you to the place where Jesus died. For Paul, he could take you to the place where Jesus was buried. He could take you to almost 500 people who saw Jesus having risen from the grave. Paul wants us to believe that Jesus physically, powerfully, Jesus rose from the grave on that first Easter morning. What do we mean by physically? Why is it so important? Um, why can't we just believe Jesus was a ghost that maybe just kind of just moved out of the tomb? Well, it's really important to understand that he physically died on the cross. There's no way that he could have just swooned or passed out. Jesus had to have died on the cross because Roman soldiers were trained in the art of death. They would have at least lost their jobs, maybe lost their lives, had they not finished the job. So Roman soldiers knew how to kill a man. Jesus was dead. But we find that the tomb is empty. And that's a really big deal for Paul because Jesus was, even though he was hated by many of the officials, Jesus was loved. He was revered by so many in the area. Jesus had performed miracles for over three years. And there is no body, no tomb, no shrine left for the body of Jesus his followers could touch him. They could hug him. They could see the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. Luke 24 says that Jesus ate broiled fish. He ate real food after he rose from the grave. And even though sometimes we like to make the resurrection seem almost maybe more glorious or kind of light it up with the pictures that we post, and I posted pictures on Facebook this week. I love those pictures. But more than likely, his resurrection was just very physical. Um, they mistook Jesus for being a traveler on the road. They mistook him as being a gardener. He probably didn't have light beams shooting out of his ears and out of his eyes. But he was just a, yes, he was fully God, but he was still fully man. It was a physical resurrection, but it was also a public resurrection. And here's why that's important. Paul, in the verses we just read, says, again, there's 500 people that saw Jesus rise from the grave. And you could go down the street and talk to many of them. Some of them had passed away in the 25 years leading up to the time he wrote this, but most were still alive. Now think with me about where you were 25 years ago. A few of you, many of you maybe were not yet here, but most of us were around 25 years ago. That was 1994. Where were you in 1994? That year is when Friends debuted on NBC. You know, recently Friends came back out, I guess, on Netflix and some of the younger generations like, hey, there's this new show called Friends. Well, actually, it's been around for a while. And some of us were teenagers uh, or, or older when it came out. In 1994, we sent troops into the Persian uh, Gulf. Some of you maybe were involved in that. O.J. Simpson, 
Uh, remember the white Bronco as they chased him down the highway. I remember coming home from camp and my mom and dad telling me all about it. And I'm watching this white Bronco. I still today, if I see a white Bronco, I still think about uh, that day. So 25 years wasn't that long ago. And for Paul, he is saying this was very public. This wasn't a private spiritual thing. But thirdly, it was also powerful. The resurrection changed the man that Paul was. Paul loved to point fingers at how everybody else had broken the law. Paul loved to go after you if you violated the law and, and would even hunt you down and have you killed. Paul was a man of the law. But when he met Jesus, he became a man of grace. Man, God softened his heart. He learned how to love other people. He's known today as the apostle of grace. And so the resurrection changed this hard religious man into the man that we read about today. It changed the early church. Think about how that their corporate day of worship used to be Saturday. So for thousands of years, they would meet on Saturday. Saturday was the Sabbath. But something had to happen really, really big because they changed their day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. Now, if you've been in church leadership for any length of time, a part of any church, or even if you've seen church leadership, you know what a big deal that is, right? I mean, Bible Center's been around for 76 years, and there was a time where we actually tried to like change the chair set up. We removed the middle aisle because we thought it would be a great idea, and like World War III almost broke out because we moved some chairs, right? right? So we, call, we still call that chair gate. If, if you're familiar with water gate, that's chair gate. Like, how dare you move the chairs? So you think about this. They changed a tradition that had been around for thousands of years like that. They started worshiping on the first day of the week. Why did they do that? And why did they do that so easily? It's because something radical happened. It was so radical that it actually caused men and women and even children to go to the Colosseums and to look the lions in the face and to go into the lion's den and die as martyrs for their faith. It wasn't because they had some spiritual experience. It was because they said, we saw Jesus we know he rose from the grave, or our grandparents saw Jesus. We know he's alive. A few weeks ago, I had coffee down at Starbucks at the mall with an unbelieving friend, and he asked some really, really good questions. And so he's not here today, but I wanted to share some of the questions he had because as we talked about it, it actually strengthened my own faith, and I'm praying that he'll come to Jesus soon. Uh, but one of the questions he asked was this. He said, how can we truly believe that Jesus existed? if we didn't see him with our own eyes? And I think that's a great question. It's a fair question. And so one of the things I began to think about was how that, you know, we haven't seen George Washington with our own eyes. We haven't seen Caesar or Henry Ford, but we believe people that we find to be credible witnesses. And so that's one way to think through. I've heard it said before that we can't put Christianity in a test tube and test it. Therefore, it's impossible to believe and, and I get the feelings behind that. Some are more, uh, maybe a little more abstract than others. But there's a lot of things in life you really can't put into a test tube. Like, you can't put your love for music into a test tube. You can't explain it really scientifically. You just, it's, it's art. You just love it. Um, I would recommend that you not go on a date this week and try to put your love in a science experiment. Well, how do you know you really love me? How do I know I really love you? That's probably not the thing to say to your significant other. But there's a lot of things in life that we know because we believe 
that we can't test scientifically. But one German scholar, and his name kills me, but I'm just going to pass on this. Uh, but he wrote something profound. The evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it is very un- it's a very unusual event. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. The issue today isn't whether or not you believe in miracles. The issue today isn't whether or not you believe everything the Old Testament said or whether you understand everything about the New Testament. The issue isn't that you know everything there is to know about God, for frankly, none of us know everything there is to know about God. But the issue today is what you do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And the the gate to heaven is not a test of a thousand questions, but the gate to heaven is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And I'm praying today that if you've never yet decided to follow Jesus, you've never yet decided to put your faith in Jesus to be your Savior, that you will do that today. There's no magical prayer But the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love the example of one of the prayers in the Bible. There's different prayers in the Bible of different people coming to faith in Jesus. And I love it that they're all different because it's the heart that God is after. But I remember there's one guy in the book of Luke. He went up into the temple to pray, kind of like a a church service like this, right? Maybe it was something like an Easter-type service, and everybody was dressed nicely, and people were using a lot of big religious words, and he really, really felt out of place, really felt out of place. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you feel out of place. Frankly, there are days where I feel out of place, right? Like, Lord, what, what are you doing? Why have you done this in my heart? And why did, what did I do to get your attention? The answer is nothing. It's all of grace. But there was one guy in the temple that says that he prayed this big flowery prayer. But the other guy, all he did was this. He could hardly even lift his eyes towards heaven. He just bowed his head. You can just picture him shaking his head. This is where some of you are right now. And he just said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man left the temple justified, which is a fancy word for saved. That man got it. Because he knew it wasn't about him, but it was all about God's grace. Why do we celebrate Easter? Jesus physically, publicly, and powerfully rose from the grave. Number two, why do we celebrate Easter? You see it in your notes. It reminds us that what God did for Jesus on the first Easter, he has promised to do for every Jesus follower and for the entire universe. It reminds us that what God did for Jesus on the first Easter, he has promised to do for every Jesus follower and for the entire universe. Now, we'll let God's word explain that. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. Paul explains it clearly. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, which is what I'm preaching, How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. 
More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Here's what Paul is saying. If he was standing here today, I believe he'd say this. If there's no resurrection, make today your last Easter service. Like it's not worth your time, right? Go mow the grass. Go play paintball. Do something. But don't come here to celebrate this. But he says in verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. When the end, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now there's an important distinction to make, and I want to be as clear as, as I possibly can be. I used to think that the th Life after death and the resurrection were the same thing. And I've heard that a lot. And I, for some reason, I kind of grew up thinking that way, that life after death and resurrection are the same thing, that resurrection means to go to heaven when you die. But I've learned in recent years that actually isn't what resurrection means. Resurrection means something different entirely. Look with me in your notes. When a Christian dies, his or her spirit goes to heaven. We believe that. That's true. This is spiritual life after death, but it's not resurrection. It's spiritual life after death, but it's not resurrection. So let's talk about that for a minute. In Luke 23, there's two men dying on the cross beside Jesus. One of them mocks, one believes. Do you remember what Jesus said to the one who believed? He said, today you will be with me where? In paradise. That man's body was taken off the cross. He physically died, but spiritually he was with Jesus somewhere in paradise. In the verses in your outline, there's a number of other verses where Paul says things like to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, or Paul was suffering, and there were days where Paul says, you know what, it would just be better if I was out of this body and I was with the Lord spiritually, right? If you've lived in this world more than two or three decades, you've had days like that. Where you're like, you know, if I could really just admit, it would just be a whole lot easier if my spirit was with heaven, with God, right? And that's what Paul was saying. But that is not resurrection. My, grand, my grandparents, my brother who died of cancer, they're with the Lord. But they're not, not with the Lord physically, they're with the Lord spiritually, the Bible doesn't say a lot about that. There's a few verses where it seems like we can somehow recognize people. If we died today and go to heaven, somehow we can recognize them. Matthew 17, you had Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. You can read all about it. When people saw them, they could recognize, hey, that's Moses, that's Elijah. 
That's really about all the Bible says. There's not a lot that talks about what this heavenly spiritual existence is like. You're alive, you're conscious, but it's spiritual, not physical. But there's some day coming called resurrection. One day when Jesus returns, our spirits will reunite with new bodies. This is physical life after death. This is resurrection. It's physical life after death. It comes after the spiritual life after death. We'll let Jesus explain in John chapter 5. Jesus said, Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and now and, and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming, Jesus says, when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. These aren't my words. These are Jesus' words. Those who have done what is good will rise to life, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Now, let's put it in context of a funeral. When I preach a funeral, uh, when I preach my grandparents' funeral, I didn't say, well, Grandpa has his new legs in heaven. I didn't say that. I didn't say, Grandpa has his new arms in heaven. I didn't say that. My grandpa was a fine man. Worked at Union Carbide back in the day, right after World War II. Uh, he used to tell stories of getting down in those big chemical tankers with a water hose and no mask and just spraying them out. That was his first job after World War II. Um, he was a good man, lived almost 90 years of age. But I didn't say at his funeral, Grandpa's got his new arms and legs because the Bible nowhere says that. He's definitely with the Lord spiritually. He's conscious. He's worshiping the Lord. But he hasn't yet received his new body. Here's what I do say at funerals. Grandpa is no longer in pain. Grandpa is in the presence of the Lord. Grandpa is getting to experience the joy of heaven. And one day at the resurrection, Grandpa will get his new arms and his new legs. That's the hope of Christianity. That's what the Bible teaches about resurrection. For hundreds of years, really well over a thousand years after Jesus, Christians tried to use, often use one word on their tombstone beneath their name. It was the Latin word resurgum, which simply means I will rise. Now, how in the world does this apply to us today? Like, what's the big deal about resurrection today? Well, there's a teaching that we call the prosperity gospel, and you can ignore the name, but the teaching goes something like this. It's pretty popular in America, and it teaches that if you follow Jesus, if you really have enough faith to follow Jesus, your cancer will go away. If you really have enough faith to follow Jesus, you'll never have, you'll never fall in hard times. If you have enough faith to follow Jesus, life will be a bed of roses because Christians are overcomers, they say. Well, the problem with that teaching is they miss the timeline of overcoming. 
I'm always thankful when God heals somebody of cancer. I'm always thankful when God allows somebody to have more money than they need to pay their bills. I'm excited for all of that. But there's no promise in God's word that that's how your life is going to go. But when he says you're an overcomer, every time in the scriptures, he's pointing back to what we're talking about this morning. He is saying you will rise from the grave. That is the hope of resurrection. When I'm sitting with somebody who's struggling with addiction, I dare not look them in the eye and say, well, if you only had enough faith, your addiction would go away. No, I can't say that. Certainly we want to help, and a number of you are involved in Celebrate Recovery, and you're serving and loving people. But you know, the truth is, some of our temptations and addictions won't go away until we experience resurrection. Hey, I'd love to pray at the bedside. I did this week of people who are really, really sick, and I asked the Lord for his mercy to heal, but I have no guarantee of that. But I do have the guarantee of resurrection. If you're jotting down notes, you can write down a few other verses. Things like Revelation 21 and 22. God says he's not only going to resurrect us who believe, but he's going to resurrect the earth. There's going to be a new heavens and the new earth. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 says that because of the cross, God is going to renew, reconcile, restore everything in heaven and on earth. We are going to live forever with God, but it's in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, growing up, I used to listen to bluegrass gospel, southern gospel, and I love all that music, and it's still part of my heritage and my culture, and maybe you like it, a lot of good songs. I'm not picking on it, but I remember there's this one song I heard a ton. It was called something like this, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angel, and it goes on to talk about how I can't wait to get rid of earth once and for all. Now, that makes for some good picking and grinning. You know, if you grew up with that, it makes for some good. But the problem is it's not accurate. Earth is going to be your home for eternity, but it's just going to be renewed. 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter actually takes the, the picture, the, the true story of Noah and the flood, and he says, just as the water renewed the earth, so will fire and one day God renew the entire planet. I love what N.T. Wright says. Early Christians believed that God was going to do for the whole cosmos what he had done for Jesus at Easter. Why do we worship? Why do we celebrate Easter Sunday? It's one, because we believe that Jesus physically, powerfully, and publicly arose from the grave. Two, it's because we believe that God's going to do for us and the entire universe what he did for Jesus on that first Easter but number three, and lastly, why do we celebrate Easter? Why are we here, right? Why are we doing this? Number three, because it inspires us to attempt great things for God and to never give up in the meantime. It inspires us to attempt great things for God and never give up in the meantime. Look with me, if you will, in verse 30 through 34. The words are also on the screen. Paul has just talked about resurrection. What kind of application is he going to make? You would almost think, like logically, he would make the application, well, you know what? If there's resurrection, if you're a follower of Jesus, then just chill out, enjoy life, 
Do what you want to do because you're going to be resurrected anyway. But he takes the exact opposite approach. Verse 30. And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, if there's no resurrection, it doesn't matter how you live. But if there is a resurrection, he says, attempt great things for God. How could these first century Christians defy Caesar? I mean, like, how could they break the laws of Rome and say, we will not worship Caesar as God. We will not worship the emperor as God. We're going to worship Jesus alone. We'll pay our taxes. We'll be the best citizens, but we will not bow to Caesar. How could they do that and be thrown into the Colosseum with wild animals? The reason they could do that is because they knew Caesar wouldn't have the last word. They knew that they were going to rise from the grave. And so therefore they could do bold things. It didn't matter if they failed. Like, Don't threaten me with heaven, right? They wanted to do and attempt great things for God. Verse 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And that's not only for students and children. That's for us, no matter how old we are, right? We tell our children and we tell our students, hey, don't hang around bad influences. They're going to drag you down. But something happens, we forget that. The little older we get, he says, bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Verse 58 is the last. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm Let nothing move you. Nothing move you. Think about that. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Up until Thursday, I had planned completely to preach on John 20. So if you come back to Easter next year, you'll probably hear a sermon on John 20 because it's about three-fourths of the way done. But I... I I couldn't get verse 58 out of my mind. And I'm not spooky and weird. Well, maybe I'm a little weird, but I'm not spooky. But I believe there's a man in this room, you have been tempted to quit. You've been tempted to quit on your marriage. You've been tempted to quit on your kids. You've quit praying. You quit reading your Bible. You've tempted to quit on church and quit serving the Lord. You say, Matt, give me one good reason why I shouldn't quit. The answer is resurrection. This is not the end. The answer is resurrection. There's a woman here, perhaps, and you've been really wrestling with with giving up on all the things that you've worked to build, all the things that God has given you to care for. You're this close to walking away from all of it. And I believe God put this message on my heart for you as a lady not to quit, but to remember the one good reason not to quit is the resurrection. I want you children, you you students, I want you to know what I didn't know. None of this made sense to me when I was your age. I grew up in church and I heard sermons about heaven, but usually it was misapplied and not about the new heavens and the new earth. And it certainly wasn't about resurrection. I want you children, you students, to grow up being resurrection people, to believe 
that you need not fear the world, but that you only need to fear God because he's the one that has the power over life and death and heaven and hell. And one day you will rise from the grave. A few weeks ago, I shared some stats. You know, sometimes in my sermons, I share things and I think, man, this is really gonna make an impact. And you know, you don't really hear anything. And then sometimes you think, oh, this isn't that big a deal. And you hear a ton. And so it was kind of ironic. I shared some stats about West Virginia. Some of you were here for that sermon. And I got a lot of just really honest, heartfelt feedback about how depressing what I shared really was. And so I felt like this morning, I wanna depress you one more time. I wanna read those stats. And, but let's put it in the context, okay, of resurrection. All right, here, here are the stats again. Per CNBC, West Virginia now ranks 50th out of all the states in terms of business and economy. 41 states in the U.S. grew in population last year. Only nine states declined, number one in that list being West Virginia, with the highest rate and drop in the country. The last time Canal County grew was in 2012, and it was only about 51 people. 17.9% of West Virginia's population lives in poverty. We have 6,899 children in foster care right now in, in West Virginia. And in January, Charleston identified 315 homeless individuals coming and going in the city of Charleston. Opioid overdose deaths in West Virginia was 833 deaths in one year, a little more than a year ago. You say, man, what, what, what hope do we have? What, what's our message? We might as well just like pack it up, right? Like what's the big deal? The big deal is resurrection. And what I'm gonna ask you to do in the minute we have left is to take out this brochure, the May We Serve brochure that was on your seat whenever you came in or maybe it's somewhere there near you. And you say, why would we do all of these things in our city? For instance, on May 8th, why would we throw a social worker's appreciation dinner at Bible Center? Well, certainly we want to love people. That's one answer. But we also want to show resurrection. We're not resurrecting anybody at the dinner, okay? So don't worry. We're not going to get spooky like that. But what we are going to do is by serving dinner, putting food and appreciation in people's lives, we're saying this is just a taste of resurrection. Saturday, May 11th, this senior in need home repair, helping the elderly woman who's raising her, her great-grandchildren. By doing that, will we bring in the kingdom? No. But by doing this, we can say, you want to know what resurrection looks like and feels like? It looks a little bit like this. The bridge, the day we're building the bridge, 23rd and 24th. That bridge is not going to last forever, especially if I have any part in building it. It will not last forever. You do not want me there that day. Why would we do that? Because what we want to do with all the things on this list is say, we, as God's people, we don't believe this is it. We believe there's more. We believe there's resurrection. And if by putting food in your belly and a roof over your head and a bridge to your house gives you a little illustration of the life that Jesus Christ wants to give you, we will do good works until the day we die because we believe in resurrection. Why would we celebrate Easter like this? Because Jesus physically, publicly, powerfully rose from the grave. Because number two, we believe God's gonna do for us 
what he did for Jesus on that first Easter. And number three, we believe that the resurrection reminds us to never, ever, ever give up and to do good works in his name. Will you pray with me now and thank God for resurrection? Father, I pray for the man or woman here who's yet to put their faith in Jesus. I pray today that they will take that step, that you would open their heart to faith. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if, if you're here and you've never yet decided to follow Jesus, to put your faith totally in him, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that now. Right where you sit, there's, like I said, there's no set prayer, but in your own words, or you can repeat after me under your breath, would you ask the Lord Jesus to be your savior, to be your master? I'll pray this prayer now. I'm gonna invite you to pray it with me. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I know I'm broken. But I believe you love me. And I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose from the grave the third day. Come into my life. Make me a Christian. Help me follow you. Lord, thank you for saving me. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you would say anonymously, I will not embarrass you. Pastor Matt, remember me in your closing prayer. Remember me. I prayed that prayer today. I meant it. I'm glad that I did. I prayed it. I meant it. I'm glad that I did. I believe that was for me. Thank God for you. You're in the middle section. Back over on my left. Thank God for you, ma'am. And you, sir, on the aisle. Thank God for you. Back on my left. These, with these four, you'd say, Pastor Matt, remember me. I, I prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad that I did. Remember me, that God would help me follow Jesus. For you who raised your hand this morning, I would encourage you to reach out to me this week. Let's talk. I'd love to help you. That's why we're here, to help you grow in your faith. Give me a call. Message me on Facebook. Send me an email. Stop by the church. We'd love to help you take these steps as a follower of Christ. The prayer room is available after the service. You can stop by there and people can give you what you need from God's word to help you start to grow as well. Father, thank you for the seven at nine o'clock and for the four hands I saw just a moment ago who said, I I've decided, but my faith in Jesus today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a church that loves them, that encourages them, that teaches them, that journeys with them through this hard thing called life. But Father, I pray for all of our people that we together would be resurrection people by the way we love our city. I pray the month of May would be off the charts in terms, in terms of touching people in Jesus' name. Pray you would do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.